Well, welcome along everyone this morning. It's awesome that you made it out on this holiday day. <laughs> See a lot of new faces around and so a special welcome to anyone who's visiting with us. I've got my father-in-law all the way here from the Middle East. Yeah, you. And welcome to... Oh yeah, you can, you can give him a clap. <laughs> Lap it up, Ross. <laughs> but welcome to anyone who's just visiting here. I, I really do pray that you hear something this morning that's life-changing. You know, the gospel is a powerful message and it, tra- it really does transform us and sets our lives on a completely different course. When, when, I heard, when I heard the gospel, I had absolutely no idea the impact and the influence that it would have on my life today. I was totally oblivious when I received Jesus when I was in my early teenage years that that message, that word, that life that I received inside of me would make me today into, the pers- into a person that I never imagined I would be. And this, this gospel really does come in like a seed and flourish like a mustard tree. It starts as a word implanted, but it's able to save your soul. It's able to transform your heart, renew your mind, change your perspective, and make all things new. Not the things around you, but the things within you. And I feel like that's my testimony, and it is continuing to be my testimony, not a one-off event, but a continual life-giving process, a relationship with a person who has forever altered me and continues to do so. So it's awesome, eh? The gospel is an, is an awesome, awesome message. And I just, I pray that you will receive not the words of a preacher this morning, but the word, Christ himself inside you that will change you. Cool. So this morning, I've, I, I'm not really into titling my messages because normally I'll write something down and it morphs into something that's so completely different by the time I finish preaching. But I've, I've, I've attempted a title um, to my message this morning. It's called this, Resolution and Resurrection. Fitting title, I think, being the start of the new year. What are we now? We've, uh, January, January 6th, six days on from the start of the new year. And in the Willis household, every year you knew it was coming. On New Year's Eve, Dad would ask those classic words. So, do you have a resolution for, for the new year? Do you have, you know, some sort of intention, something you want to achieve? You know, here we might have even made New Year's resolutions ourselves, and that's awesome. You know, resolutions are good. Normally they involve things like losing weight, uh, exercising, being nicer to mum, you know, being nicer to the kids, I'm not sure. Or maybe even in my case, gaining a bit of weight, you know, bulking up. (laughs) Don't have too much to lose. But, you know, New Year's resolutions are notorious for not being able to be fulfilled. And just as I was thinking about this, I came across an interesting study by a well-known American university, and they talked about how frequently New Year's resolutions are not kept. Does anyone want to have a guess at what this study said, how, how little New Year's resolutions are kept as a percentage. Any, any takers? 
5%, pretty close. So are you thinking 5% aren't kept or 5% are kept? Aren't kept. Pretty good. You guys are onto it. So the studies show that over 92% of people who made New Year's resolutions weren't able to follow through on any of their resolutions. 92% of people who made a New Year's resolution were not able to follow through on their resolutions. Is that not outrageous? That's a big percentage. That's out of maybe the, I don't know how many people we've got in here, 100, maybe 150. There might only be a very small handful, maybe this front row of people who were actually able, the holy ones, you know, (laughs) that are able to follow through on what they had, you know, set in their minds to, um, to follow through on. And in this study, it was made famous by Forbes magazine, and they were stunned at how infrequently people could follow through um, on their intentions. And they were, you know, trying to work this out. What, what was it that made people lack the ability to keep their resolutions? And they said, they said a resolution only tries to address behaviors, but they said that these behaviors stem from deep-rooted attitudes, deep-rooted attitudes, thought patterns, and motivations that weren't easily observable on the outside. Ooh, interesting. Deep-rooted attitudes. You know, for so many years, the gospel has been watered down as, as a message that says this, God came to forgive you for your sins, death on the cross and his resurrection, so that you could go to heaven when you die. And that's it. And so the gospel has become a rescue mission. And then we're just left with a simple resolution to be a better person, to try and live like God, to try and fulfill some sort of godly, holy life out from the resolution of our own mind and our own hearts. So that's why the title of this message is Resolution and Resurrection. See, resolutions are good things. If, if you're sitting here and you've made a New Year's resolution, good on you. I hope that we continue to make resolutions, but those resolutions need to be aligned and submitted to a resurrection life and power that enables that resolution. You see, works are good, resolutions are good, but the resurrection is better. So the old covenant had glory, it had commandments, it had miracles, it had all of these external things. And God said that this covenant was glorious, but then he established an even more glorious covenant that wasn't going to be left to chance. It wasn't going to be left hanging on a resolution made by man, but on a resurrection and a life and a power that God would establish and form inside the hearts of the church that would give them the capacity to follow through on a resolution from his perspective. So if the resurrection is simply an event 2,000 years ago where Jesus died on the cross and rose again, or if it's simply an event in the future that we will maybe once one day be risen with him and go to heaven when we die, we are absolutely left with only a resolution 
to try and work out our own salvation with our own capacity, but never dealing with the attitudes, the deep-rooted motivations, and the mindsets of our heart and mind. The gospel, if it really is just a resurrection that's future, or a resurrection that is past, has had all of its power and life sucked out of it. It blesses us, but it doesn't build us. It makes us feel comfortable of an eternity with God, but it leaves us void of an eternity in God and through God that dwells within us now. So resolutions aren't just like restrained to the new year period. We make resolutions day in, day out. Every day we decide um, to do something. And I'll just read you this just so that you've got a bit of context. This is straight from the dictionary, so um, it must be true. So this is what the definition of a resolution is. The act of determining on an action. And what about a resurrection? A rising from the dead. Interesting, it doesn't say the act of, it is a rising from the dead. A resolution, the act of determining on an action. The resurrection, arising from the dead. So I've got an example of a resolution in my early kind of teenage years. This was at intermediate age school. This wasn't a New Year's resolution. It was just a resolution based on the kind of social environment that I was in. There we go. Oh, that's way better on the microphone. All right. So example number one. So... Growing up, we lived at 45 Mills Road, and my next-door neighbor, um, his name was Lewis. Do you remember Lewis? Lewis was a cool cat. So Lewis was an only child, and he always had the best of everything. And at the time, the cool thing to do was downhill mountain biking. And so Lewis had devoted his life to downhill mountain biking, and he went to a different intermediate than me, and he got into the circle of another group of kind of cool cats, and they were all into this downhill mountain biking, had all the flash gears, um, had the, the new bikes, the helmets, the safety gear, and they were pretty good at this downhill mountain biking. And Lewis came over one day, and he's like, bro, you've got to get into downhill mountain biking. And so I wasn't really too keen at the time, to be honest. I preferred soccer, um, but I, wa- I wasn't so keen on the downhill mountain biking, but I was keen on getting into that group of cool kids, you know? And so I thought, man, I guess the only way that I'm going to be able to do this and get into that gang was to get myself a bike and to get into this mountain biking. So I saved up my pennies, and I found an Advanti hot dog on, I think it was Trade Me, and, I mean, the only part about the, the hot dog was that it was a bit of a dog um, compared to the, you know, these glorious new specimens of a bike that these, um, that these cats had. But anyway, it was going to empower me to reach my goals, which was to fit in with this crowd. And so I finally got, got the hot dog and um, cruised down to the school and met Lewis and the boys. And there was this little kind of, um, I'm not sure what you call it, this little track that they did, and down at the school field, there was a a steep bank with these big tree roots sticking out, 
and there was a ledge that ran along the top of the bank. Do you guys remember what this was? There's a ledge that ran along that gave you just enough space to get on some good speed, and then it kind of dropped down, and there was a big drop gap. So it was probably about the height of the sound desk and probably about the width of the sound desk. And what these boys would do, this was kind of like 101, being in the cool clique, the cool kids club, you know? And so these guys, one after the other, would ride along the ledge, and they would drop down, and they would free fall or fly over the gap and land on the downhill slope on the other side over the tree roots. And in my mind, I was like, man, I've got my Avanti hot dog. All I need to do now is to hit this gap, and then I'll be part of the club. So day one on the Avanti hot dog, had never done any downhill mountain biking before. I'm like down at the school with Lewis and the boys, and I, so I, I get up on the, on the ledge, and I'm riding along, drop down, take the gap. Oh, I absolutely freak out in mid-air. This thing was way bigger than I expected when I was free-falling in mid-air. Probably wasn't the best time to try and pull out of it. <laughs> but I was already committed, and I, I'm flying through the air, and at the last minute I try to like grab hold of my bike. My feet go onto the pedals. Actually, no, they don't go onto the pedals. My nuts go onto the bar. <laughs> And my feet go onto the nothing, and I'm like riding my bike on my nuts and just come and fall down on the, on the grass. But I've made it. I've done it. I'm part of the club. I've done the action. Thank you, Lewis. I'm in there. See, I had determined upon an action, on an outcome on a specific task that would achieve what I thought it would achieve. Yet in all that time saving my money, in all that time hanging out with Lewis, I hadn't actually thought that maybe I should practice my downhill mountain biking before attempting the biggest feat that Ridgeway School had to offer. See, I was determining upon an action, but I wasn't prepared to enter into a maturity in my mountain biking, my downhill mountain biking, that would actually empower me to take that jump with speed and to land not on my nuts but on my feet on the pedals. See, that's what happens when you determine upon an action. You may even be able to achieve that action. <laughs> that I have had a baby, so the cost wasn't, wasn't that great, but thank you. <laughs> See, what if I had heard the call? What if I had heard the resolution to hit the gap? And I had, in the time leading up to it, grabbed my old bike, which wasn't as cool, gotten out, done some rides, practiced, you know, getting my feet in the right position, grown in the maturity actually required to hit that gap and to make that jump. Do you think there would have been a different outcome? Absolutely, because there would have been a capacity and a power within me that would have enabled that action to actually be the action that it was intended to be. See, a resolution without, an act, or without a resurrection is an absolutely lifeless decision. 
determining upon an outcome, but missing God's original intention, which is actually to build us and to mature us. Excuse me one second. See, Romans 6 talks about the resurrection. If you're happy to turn your Bibles, if you've got it, Romans 6. And I want you to listen as I read through this passage and hear what this passage has to say about the resurrection. You know, like I said before, for 2,000 years I believe that the resurrection has been preached as an event that blesses you as opposed to a power and a life source that transforms you. Now, it's not that it's not an event, it is. But there's a one and a two thing going on here. Just like a resolution is a good thing, it's number two to a resurrection. The power within you and the power around you, the power that changed, uh, the, the cross that forgives you from your sins is the same cross that empowers you to live free from sin. And we absolutely need both. So listen to these words about the resurrection because I, I honestly believe there's a common misperception in the church that the resurrection is either past or future. But, but listen to what Romans 6 says about the resurrection. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore we have been buried with him through the baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall uh, also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we, we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing this, that Christ, has, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now when you hear those words, what does it make you think about the resurrection? This death and this life. Is it past, or present, or future? Present. Well, absolutely, it's all of them. But in this context, Paul he says these key words. That as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might go to heaven when we die? So as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Have you thought about the resurrection in that way before? That the resurrection is not just something that happens for you, but something that happens within you. You see, for so many years, the gospel has only been preached in one part of a two-part message. A resurrection that's for you, but actually there's a resurrection that takes place within you. That we might walk in newness of life. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Interesting that he would insert not being a slave to sin if this is a message about a future event or a past event. Not being slave to sin is a present reality, Paul is saying, that we can enter into, not through just believing that the resurrection has happened or will happen, but receiving the power of that resurrection. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. See, the resurrection will have you being dead to yourself in your old life and having a new life on the inside that will empower you to live for God. So in verse 11, it comes to the climax and it says this, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves. Consider. What does it mean to consider yourself? You know, it means this. It means, means to reckon, to come to a final decision, to conclude, to calculate as if you're working your way to the end of a maths problem and finally you have nailed it, to conclude, to come to a logical conclusion. See, there's a logic going on here that is absolutely opposed to our natural logic. Even so, consider yourselves as being dead to sin is a logic that we as human beings are not born with. See, the fall tainted our logic. It tainted our thinking. It made us think from separation with, uh, from God as opposed to unity with him. So what if I was to say that you, through the cross, have been dead to sin, that you're righteous in him, you've been made right, you're a son of God, you're being called and chosen before the foundations of the world, you are absolutely accepted, you're in and you're not out, you're wholly, totally his. What would you say? Would you consider that as being who you are? Or would, be, would there be a new logic that springs up in your mind that takes that sin and snuff, oh, sorry, that takes that word and snuffs it out before it's had the chance to take a deep root in your thinking? So it says this even so, consider yourselves as being dead to sin. See, I wonder if having not considered ourselves as being dead, we continue to live in thought patterns and in attitudes as if we are dead. See, the axe must be laid to the root of the tree, John says, in his first sermon. You know, Mark and I have been going hard on the chainsaw all week at my place. We've got these tree stumps that line that, the outside of our house uh, along, the, along the edge by our balcony. 
And we were just going and looking at these tree stumps that were cut down probably, a num- what did you say, a number of years back, Mark? And all of these tree stumps are now sprouting other trees from the stump. Other trees are now growing, and now we're having to take the chainsaw and chop down all of these trees that have come from the tree stump. Why? Because the axe was laid, the tree was chopped down, but it wasn't laid to the root. And now, back to what we were talking about originally in this article about resolutions and the deep-rooted attitudes and thought patterns that that mean that we cannot follow through on what it is that God's inviting us into. The gospel addresses the deepest core of our being and touches on any thought pattern, any attitude that separates us from God. And it comes and and it says this, so even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, there's no other way that you could naturally come to the conclusion that you're holy, righteous, set apart, born again, dead to sin, alive to God, a resurrected being, apart from through the gospel. You'll never come to that in your mind because you've got motivations, attitudes, and thought patterns that are so deeply rooted in your human flesh that you need something greater than you to come in, a gospel to come and transform not just your behavior and your actions, but your thinking, your attitude, and your heart. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. You see, in Romans chapter 7, the next chapter over, you don't need to turn there, but maybe just jot it down and go and read it tonight. Paul, he's so good at almost like sweeping out any excuse for us. And he talks about what life used to be like living under this resolution lifestyle. And he talks about things like this. He says, the good that I want to do, I just don't seem to be able to do. I actually just end up doing the very thing that I hate. Does that sound like a resolution gone wrong? Does it sound like this Paul who is desperately trying to keep the law, desperately trying to please God but doesn't have the capacity to follow through on what he wants to do? And so he compares this and saying, this is what I used to live like under the law. But then the famous words, he says, but praise be to God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of of sin and death. You know, so often I've heard this chapter in Romans 7 used to justify our inability to live like God. But actually Paul's saying, this is how I shouldn't be living now that I'm a Christian. Now that I've considered myself dead to sin and alive to God, I shouldn't be living this resolution lifestyle. I shouldn't be consistently day in, day out, trying to do things but not having the capacity to do them. Because the gospel doesn't just address the things that we do, it addresses who we are. And when you change, your attitudes change, your thoughts change, you don't do the things that you once wanted to do that didn't have the capacity to do. You have now been dead with Christ. Your old life has passed away and you've received a new life source on the inside that empowers change. So I've just put here, I might have to fly through some of these. Point number one. A resolution addresses behaviors. If you've got a notebook, 
you can jot this down. These are the, the kind of the key points. A resolution addresses behaviors, whereas the resurrection impacts the inner realm. Got a scripture here. One second. So I made reference to this before, but this is John the Baptist's first sermon. Listen to these words. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Some big words from a first-time preacher coming out with you brood of vipers. wonder what that would invoke in you if I started my sermon this morning in that way. <laughs> You'd all be gone by now, probably. But John the Baptist is touching on... Added these attitudes that these religious people carried. You see, they were coming to him for baptism, for the forgiveness of their sins. They were coming to him for forgiveness of sin, something that happened at the cross. They wanted to receive the blessing of God, forgiveness from sins, the washing of water. But, he's, but he says, hey, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, forgiveness of sin requires maybe a casual sorry, but repentance requires a total lifestyle change. See, saying sorry for sin will address the behavior. But John here is saying, guys, I need something more from you than to add another religious ritual to your repertoire. I don't need you to pray more. I don't need you to read your Bible more. I don't need you to come down and get baptized more. I need you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. See, saying sorry will have you addressing behaviors for things that you have done, but it won't actually have you addressing the root of those behaviors, which comes from seeing, reckoning yourself dead to sin and seeing who you're always called to be. See, saying sorry will address things on the outside, things that you do. It will try and address doing the mountain bike jump, but it won't address the capacity that will motivate that action. See, saying sorry has only a limited effect, but true, genuine repentance in the Greek means this, to change the way you think. See, when the inside changes, when the, when the cup is clean on the inside, 
then on the outside you'll be made clean. Repentance isn't saying sorry. Repentance is having a total attitude and perspective change to let go of who you were and the incapacity that you used to have. And it is believing everything that you are and everything that you're called to be in him. Sometimes I think we just need to stop saying sorry for who we aren't and believing who we always were called to be from the beginning. And that is true and genuine repentance. It's life-giving. It's empowering. It's motivating. It's transforming. It has you living full of life, full of power, full of motivation, and genuinely having the capacity to live for God in a way that you never could before you started to bear this new fruit in keeping, not with an apology, but new fruit accompanied by repentance. See, the axe is laid to the root of your thinking that tells you you're not good enough, that tells you you cannot live for God wholeheartedly, that tells you that you don't have purpose, you don't have destiny, you've been forgotten, you're no good. The axe needs to be laid to that root of thinking. And there needs to be a resurrection of life that comes into our minds where maybe for the first time we believe the gospel in a way that changes us on the inside. It has us believing in his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. It really is the power of God for salvation. Point number two, a resolution addresses behavior. Oh, sorry, I've said that one. Point number two, a a resolution has you doing works for God, whereas the resurrection will have you becoming like God. I'll say that again. A resolution has you doing works for God, whereas the resurrection will have you becoming like God. You see, resolutions are good, but if we're not careful and if that's all we have, if the works are all we have, we will almost certainly start finding our identity in what we do for God as opposed to who he is inside of us. See, Peter was a man just like us and found himself in exactly the same predicament as we have, attempting to do works for God without having become like God. In Matthew chapter 26, you can look it up later if you want. I'm happy just to read it. Verse 31. This is Peter and Jesus. And Jesus is on the path to going to the cross to die for us and then to be raised to life. And Peter, out of the best meaning and intention of his resolution, thinks that he can follow him. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For as it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. 
See, Jesus is going to the cross, and Peter is a man full with good intention. He sees the cross, this big, this holy act. Would you, would you not say that dying for people is a good thing to do? This is, this is almost the pinnacle, the holiness of holy of actions that Peter genuinely wants to follow. And see, this is why a resolution is not a negative thing, but it needs to be defined by a resurrection power. Otherwise, we'll be found like Peter, who says here, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said, said the same thing. Nick Minute, over the page, Nick Minute, Jesus comes to Peter and, his, and the other disciples and, and say to them, guys, I'm going to the cross. Will you just stay up with me and pray? Will you just be with me in one of the most intense moments of my life? Can you just stay and pray? He comes back and Peter and his boys are sleeping, unable not only to go to the cross with Christ, but unable to pray for a few minutes, to join with a brother in his suffering, to share in the most basic of Christian, I don't know, things, prayer. So you think you can go to the cross, but you can't pray? So you think you can achieve the works of God without the power of God? So often I think we look and put things on a pedestal of things that we would have God do in our lives and us through us, but we don't actually start at the right starting point. We see the glorious works. We see the death on the cross. We see the, the miracles, praying for the sick. We see evangelizing the nations. But maybe we need to be evangelized. Maybe the gospel needs to touch our hearts. Maybe we need to move from the resolutions of our own lives to a resurrection power that will enable us to pray and then will enable us to go to the cross when he calls it. You see, Peter couldn't pray. And over the next page, he was denying Jesus three times. Why was that? The lack of ability to pray should have been his first indicator. Hey, there's a starting point that you need to go to. There's a resurrection life for you to enter into that will empower you to live like me. You see, growing up, I had in my mind the pinnacle of pinnacles for what it meant to follow God. When I finished high school, I, um, I saved up my pennies, and we had a guy who came to speak here. His name was Ronnie Haybor, and he ran, ran a, a missionary school over in Indonesia. You remember him? Um, and so he had this base with 300 kids where, um, you know, he would take in orphans and they would go out to the jungle tribes and preach the gospel. And I saw this in my young faith as being the creme de la creme of Christian ministry, going to the nations to preach the gospel. And so I got his newsletter and I got his email address and I sent him an email saying, hey, can I come over and, and work with you and, and volunteer for a little while? And he said, yeah, great, come, come over. So I saved my money and um, worked and, and took myself over to, to Indonesia. And see, in my, in my early Christian years, I was desperately looking for the reality of the gospel, but hadn't experienced it on the inside. And in my mind, the reason why 
I wasn't experiencing the reality of the gospel that I read about was because I was living in New Zealand. I was going through school. I was just doing the normal everyday thing. But if I was to be out on the mission field, if I was to be out preaching the gospel, probably overseas, then I would find that fulfillment, that, that longing, that, or this, this life that the, that the gospel promised. And so this was my way of trying to discover that life. And so I took myself over to Indonesia and I served for five months um, over there. And it was a great time. I learned a lot. It was a powerful time. But there was one moment in particular, and this was towards the end of my time there. And I had been involved in a whole lot of really good Christian things. And on Sunday, we, had, we worked six days, and on Sunday was our day off. And I was walking um, with, a, with a group of the locals, and we had just, um, this was, picture this. We had just come out of the rainforest jungle. We lay on our backs, and we floated down this river that was kind of like bath temperature. And we would jump out of the river at various points, wherever we so desired, and we'd pick tropical fruit like mangoes from the trees, wherever we felt hungry. We made our T-shirts into little bags, and we just stuffed our, our bags with this tropical fruit. It was hot. It was warm. I was in good company, had made good friends. We were having a great laugh. So we collected this tropical fruit, and I was walking back along um, you know, the path back to the base through rainforest jungle. It was the most relaxing environment that I could possibly picture in my mind, and I was there. Not only was it a relaxing environment, I was fulfilling what I believed was the ultimate calling in God to be on the mission field. Things could not get any better in my life. And yet, on the inside, I was in anxiety, and I was desperately worrying about my salvation before God. I was worried about my life back home, not that I had absolutely anything to be worried about, living with mum and dad and having meals made for me. But I was, there was, what I expected to be filling me on the inside, getting out and being a missionary, was not able to do this deep work within me that I thought it would. And so I was wandering along through rainforest jungle in the most relaxing and peaceful environment known to mankind. And I was desperately anxious and worried before God. What is that? I wonder if it's that our resolutions and our works for God maybe cannot produce in us the life of God that he was hoping to produce in us. See, if I could not maintain a right heart and a clear conscience before God in that environment, how could I maintain it when the rubber hit the road and things got tough? So when I was walking along, there was just, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a thought that popped in, into my heart. And it was, I felt God just say, why are you worrying? And I had a snapshot, a, a moment where I saw myself and I saw the environment that I was in, the peacefulness, the serenity, and I was flabbergasted. I was, why am I worrying? What do I possibly have to worry about? See, the worry wasn't something that was motivated by things out there. It was motivated because of an insecurity in here and a lack of knowledge of a person who 
would ultimately be the only one that could fulfill the, the anxious longing of my heart. I hadn't received the gospel that cleansed my conscience from dead works. As if, as a good Christian boy, I had sinned so badly that I had fallen out of the arms of a loving God. And so in that moment, there was conviction that came to my heart, but there wasn't an end there. I, 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 my eyes were open to, okay, something's not right here. But I hadn't yet entered into the, the substance of the gospel that actually changed me. So I come back, and the next week we're here, uh, we're, we're, um, we had a men's camp. And I was sitting in this men's camp, and there was a guy who was sitting behind me who I had never met, never seen, didn't even know that he went to the rock. I wasn't involved in community like I am now today, and so I didn't know everyone that was there. And this guy doesn't come to the rock anymore. I haven't really seen him much since. But he tapped me on the shoulder after, after the music, and he said, hey, I've got a word for you. And he described a scene from being in Indonesia, sitting around in this group of people, um, dialoguing about, about the gospel. And instantly in my mind, because I was a man who thought that doing works for God would bring ultimate fulfillment on the inside, in my mind I jumped to, oh my, and he said this, he said, I see you in this jungle village, sitting in a circle with other people, talking and dialoguing. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I would like you to be more involved in this. And in my mind, I was like, that's it. I've got to go and be a missionary full time. That's why. It was just, I was there too short. I've got to go out and, and fulfill this calling. And yet, now when I look back at this word, which was a beautiful word from a beautiful man in season, this, what, what was going on here was not, about outward ministry. It was about discipleship. It was about coming to know me. And see, in my lens, in my filter, in my, filter, in my mindset, my attitude, which thought that works would bring life, I immediately applied it to works, expecting an ultimate fulfillment. And yet, it has, can I tell you, not been works that has brought about this life within me. I came back, I had the opportunity to enter into discipleship dialogue with, with Greg and, and the others, and I, I probably need to keep it, um, an, an eye on time, but for the sake of time, entering into this real genuine discipleship, not just with other people, but with God, allowing this Word of God to actually come in and do a work on the inside of me, I am so completely free from needing to go overseas, to minister the gospel, to do works to find a fulfillment. I like nothing better than to, to be with him. And from that, I'm more busy than I've ever been in my entire life, doing things, being involved in ministry, because now that flows not from, um, not from a resolution, but from a resurrected power and life that I've entered into, not through works, but through the gospel. The gospel has changed my heart. It's changed my mind. It's helped me to believe in God again. And from that place, I've become a new person. I've become a new creation. And ministry now flows not from desperately seeking fulfillment in doing, but having been fulfilled, I now have the awesome opportunity to minister the true, genuine life of the gospel that produces 
the resurrected power within us. So it's fantastic. The gospel really does change us on the inside. Point number three, I might just, um, I'll just, so point number three is a resolution is about living toward victory, but the resurrection is about living from victory. Living towards victory, this freedom is always on the outside of you. You're desperately trying the next thing, the next book, the next miracle, uh, the next whatever, whereas living from victory, you know that you've received all things in Christ. You're absolutely made whole and made full in Him, and then you live the life that He's called you to live. So if you want an example of that, I'm not going to go into the Scripture because it's a long one. Go and have a read of Lazarus and the resurrection in John chapter 6. Jot this one down. It's absolutely worth it to see the way that, uh, sorry, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, um, to see that the way that Jesus ministers, not out of insecurity, but out of resurrection power. So go and have a read of that yourself, um, and, um, and we'll call it a day. So Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that your gospel word contains within it the power to see differently, to live differently. Father, to have love living on the inside of us that motivates and empowers a completely different way of living and way of operating. I thank you that it's your word that when it goes out, achieves the work that it was predestined to accomplish. And Father, I thank you that there are hungry hearts here and eager attentive ears that will receive a word implanted that's able to save your soul. So Father, thank you for today. I thank you for um, um, even just being able to meet here on a holiday day and a holiday time, Father, for the hunger that um, motivates people to be here. And we just want to say we love you and appreciate you in Jesus' name. Amen.